of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro through the multiverse. I'm your host, Matt Spectro. As always, lifetime comic fan, lifetime superhero fan. You've reached the podcast exclusively talking comic book based animation. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 70. Before we get into it, I'm going to briefly explain the rules. Rule number one, comic book animation. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Rule number two, I'm a big fan of the old team-up books. DC Comics presents Brave and the Bold, Marvel Team-Up. So this is a team-up podcast. Every week, me and a special guest talking comic book animation. Rule number three, we got to have fun. We're going to get right into it. Thanks for joining us. We've got another special international episode of Matt Spectre Through the Multiverse. I'm going to bring my guests. Welcome to the Multiverse from the Diabolical Podcast. Welcome, Craig. Hey, thanks for having us. I appreciate you being here. You're our uh, second international episode of Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Was the other one UK based too? Uh, yeah, we had um, that superhero thing podcast. I'm not sure you're familiar with them. They were UK as well. We follow them absolutely. Yeah, I was told this week that um, all English people sound like the royal family, which uh, <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I asked him when he was on, I got to ask you, here in America, people are always, anytime we see anything British related, they're always saying across the pond. Is that something you guys, do you guys actually say that over there? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure if that was an American, like, misconception about Britain. No, we we do that uh, bridges class, we all say across the pond. All right, so this week, we're going to be discussing probably my, uh, my favorite DC superhero team, a contender for my favorite superhero team of all time, the Justice League. Now, depending what era you were from, they're the Justice League or the Justice League of America or the Justice League International. I know we did debate it on a couple of different things. Would you say you're a big fan of the Justice League? Oh, yeah. So one of the first comics I ever owned, uh, my older sister bought for me a bunch of, of DC comics, but one of them was the Justice League International issue where batman punches out guy gardner with one punch <laughs> so instantly i was uh, in love with justice league and, and batman and, and all that stuff that that was one of the early comics things for me and, and justice league has always been a favorite well uh we've discussed the justice league on a handful of episodes so we're not going to get into the whole history we are going to get into a little bit back in uh in the silver age of comics the late 50s the early 60s dc was having a reemergence of popularity with the superheroes and they'd already reintroduced the flash a new green lantern superman batman wonder woman were still a thing so julie schwartz had decided you know they had success with the super teams back in the golden age with the justice society so they're going to do the same thing with all of their mainstay characters the justice league of america first appearance brave and the bold 28 back in 1960 created by gardner fox and uh, sheldon mayer I don't know if you've heard this before, but uh, the reason they went with the Justice League instead of Justice Society is, uh, I believe it was either Gardner Fox or Julie Schwartz thought that uh, society skewed 
to more of an older audience and Justice League was more in the league with, say, the baseball with the National and American League. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. I was reading a, a Gardner Fox issue just the other day, actually. I think I posted about it on Twitter today because there's a this is an incredible three-panel section talking about why the, the there are differences between Earth 1 and Earth 3. <laughs> One of the differences is that Lincoln was an actor who assassinated uh, President, um, what's the guy called who assassinated Lincoln? So he was the president anyway. And it's just this action shot of Lincoln diving from the, uh, you know, the the balcony in the theater. Crazy. Um, yeah, back then, uh, they had the, the original, they didn't call it that multiverse com- concept, but they that's what led to the multiverse concept was the Justice League, because after a while, some of their audience was still aware of the Golden Age. They decided to bring the Flash into it, the Golden Age Flash, and Flash of Two Worlds back in 123, which led to them deciding to reuse the Justice League, which would pretty much, for all intents and purposes, created the concept of infinite earth, multiverse, omniverse, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. Very popular, the Justice League. Obviously, they had all the... Uh, originally, it was just Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Flash, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern. And unlike the Justice Society, Superman and Batman came along, and they were not just kind of honorary members. They became full members of the team. That run, Justice League of America, lasted all the way until 1984, where over the years, almost all the mainstay characters of just of the Justice League of the DC Universe joined the Justice League. Hawkman, Green Arrow, The Atom, Firestorm, Elongated Man, Black Canary, you name it. That run ended after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and since then, they've pretty much been... Uh, rebooting them in different versions uh justice league international like you had brought up which originally was just justice league and then justice league or whatnot current run just i believe it's just justice league they pretty much don't use the justice league of america too much anymore even though to me they're always going to be the jla because that's what i grew up with right yeah and i think that's probably for the same reason that superman's uh motto changed right they didn't want it to be too america centric he's a hero for the world and they wanted the justice league to to be that as well i think yeah it's now the they change it to you know truth justice and a better tomorrow right but you know like you i'm sure i'll i'll continue to call them jla forever because it just rolls off the tongue right yeah and just like truth justice the american way i've i've read that so long it's hard to your brain automatically wants to still say american way even though it's been changed yeah, and it's um, I understand why they did it, but you want to, with that phrase, harken back to a time when everybody sort of heard that and thought, yeah, that, that is the right way to do things. Now, um, debate that's always, well, a debate that came later on, I'd say in the late 90s, 2000, was uh, the Big Seven, where they had tried for a long time to mix up the group with different members that didn't have their own comic, not just the mainstays. And then when Grant Morrison did his run, well, it was originally Mark Wade and Fabian Nessessa that brought back the Big Seven for the Justice League Midsummer's Nightmare. But then Grant Morrison took over the ongoing title. And it's been the big debate over, is it better to do the Big Seven? Some people are hardcore insisting it always be the Big Seven. Other people think it should be a mix of DC characters. Do you have a stance or even care on that debate? Yeah, well, it depends on how big the team is, but you know, one of the reasons that I continue to fall over and over in love with the DCAU is that when they had done those two seasons of Justice League with, you know, a, 
close to the big seven. Obviously, there was a, a couple of differences in there with with uh, Hulk Girl. But when they switched to Justice League Unlimited, you got to see all these, uh, you know, edge characters that you don't normally see, the, the deeper cuts. And they only expanded on that in Batman the Brave and the Bold. And I, I love seeing all those characters brought to life in animation. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a case for the Justice League should have a few members that aren't necessarily... I think that the big three maybe are important. And then the, the rest of the lineup, to me, can be completely interchangeable. Uh, the only issue I've ever had with the, the Big Seven theory is it seems like every issue you got to come up with some insane threatening the world, the whole universe. Like You have to have these grandiose adventures that are just like the world's at stake every issue. Well, for one thing, you have to find some contrivance to involve Aquaman, right? Which is, <laughs> how can we make this threat water-based as well as everything else that's going on? So, yeah. And then there are characters who don't instantly have a skill set that works in tandem with Superman. Like your, your Hawkman, he also is strong and can fly. And then you think, well, let's have a, a more interesting character in here who, who brings something different to the table, like a Booster Gold or a, or a Blue Beetle, or you know, someone who's, who's bringing a bit of fun. But yeah, the other thing um, with the Big Seven is if you have a Green Lantern, does it have to be Hal Jordan? Because that was one of the things that I felt was unnecessary about this adaptation. Like you've got a whole pool of lanterns to draw on there and I don't know why they necessarily plumped straight for Hal in this. Well, um, it also depends on the era. Like in the late 90s, uh, they had Kyle Rayner as the, the Green Lantern. I was never a huge Kyle Rayner fan, but I think it actually worked having him and Wally in there because though they had a couple of younger members mixed in with the veterans of the team. Right, and Kyle was the new Green Lantern in the Tower of Babel comic as well, right? So Yeah, which we're going to get heavily into in a couple of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think if anything, because of I was really into the Justice League series and the movie was being steered by Dwayne McDuffie that I expected it to be John Stewart, but it wasn't. So there you go. Over the years, they've done different cartoons. They did the back in the seventies, the super friends, which was the justice league of America, just not called that. And like you had mentioned already, they did the justice league series for cartoon network in the early two thousands. And DC has done a series of animated films uh, featuring the Justice League. So we decided of all those, we were going to talk Justice League Doom. I believe it's the 13th animated film in the uh, DC Animated Universe. Original air date, or release date, I should say, February 28th, 2012. And um, I've seen a lot of them, but I don't think I've seen all of them. I've seen Justice League New Frontier, uh, Justice League... uh, God and Monsters, Justice League, Doom, like we're talking about, uh, Crisis on Two Worse. So uh, there's been quite a few. Would you say you could pick one you think is the, your, well, maybe not the best, but your favorite of the bunch? Well, like you, I haven't seen a ton of them. I, it was more the, the series that I was a, a fan of, but I saw New Frontier as well. And stylistically, obviously, was was very cool. I liked the, the animation style and the voice cast. So, yeah. New Frontier may be a favorite in the in the Justice League pantheon, but obviously from the DCAU in general, 
everybody's gonna pick Mask of the Phantasm, right? From the from the Batman animated series run, which is genuinely just brilliant. Uh, definitely, got to be everybody's top five. Uh huh. So before we get into Justice League Doom, I want to warn anyone if you haven't seen it. I know it came out 10 years ago, but you hadn't seen it. There are going to be spoilers, so uh, be paying attention. Now this, like you had mentioned a little bit, loosely based on the Mark Wade Justice League story, Tower of Babel, which was in uh, the year 2000, Justice League 43 through 46, which was a story where uh, in order to defeat the Justice League, Ra's al Ghul had uh, stolen Batman's contingency plans on how to neutralize the Justice League. Now, have you read that story? I have. Yeah, I I didn't love it. I like the, the concept a lot. I think the concept is is great. Uh that A that Batman, of course, would keep files on all those guys. And it's uh, a gray area whether he's right or wrong to do that. I think that's that's great. But the pacing of the comic, uh the art style was was a bit uh incongruous with the material for me and yeah the pacing so the the reveal comes quite early in the series of four comics and it is uh dealt with differently in the movie uh which i guess we'll get into later but yeah something about that comic didn't quite click for me and i thought that concept deserved to be maybe fleshed out in a, in a different way maybe it can be revisited in the comics at some point well at the time it was pretty popular um, right. some of it was due to not everyone agrees with this, but some people felt Grant Morrison had gotten a little burnt out at the end of his justice league run. And Mark Wade felt like, uh, like was bringing a whole new voice, a whole new eye. So it felt like fresh and new compared to what had been going on for a while. Some of those Grant Morrison stories like rock of ages, for example, were got a little convoluted. Right. Yeah. I, I remember it being popular. I think at the time though, I was more. So this was like 2000, I was kind of 18. And this was the time when I started rejecting kind of the the single issue runs of things. And I started collecting what I called graphic novels and being very highbrow about comic collection. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all go through that phase, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, Grant Morrison, at the time, I was really into their Arkham Asylum comic the the single issue run stuff that was going on i wasn't really paying that much attention to so i don't have uh any criticisms of of what was going on with grant morrison's work at the time but i can i can well imagine what burnout would feel like to the reader and, and why they would welcome you know that fresh approach from from mark wade i just think there's a there's there's a nugget of something better in there and uh, it just doesn't quite work for me well, I mean, that's, uh, to put it in context, uh, I'm not knocking, the Graham Morrison run was extremely, not only critically acclaimed, but a huge seller at the time. Right. Um, there was some really good stuff in there, the White Martian storyline, uh, the two-part story where he brought the Green Arrow, he, Connor Hawk, he brought him into the league, uh, where the key of all people was the main villain, and he actually made yeah the key actually seem like a threat. Yeah, a- anybody who can bring in a, peripheral sort of third tier uh villain like that and and you know make them relevant again i always love that did you catch the new tom king the one bad day riddler i have not i'm not a big fan of tom king well 
uh, then don't. But <laughs> a similar, similar approach to the Riddler is taken in, in there. Riddler's uh, scary again. So, yeah, I always love uh, when anyone does something like that. So, you know, like I said, 2012, uh, with Justice League Doom, like loosely based, was produced by DC Animation and Warner Brothers Animation. Written by the late, great Dwayne McDuffie, which uh, you had mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, who sadly no longer with us. Anybody unfamiliar with Dwayne McDuffie, he wrote plenty of comic books. He wrote some of the uh, Milestone comics. He wrote a Justice League run at one point. But he also wrote several episodes of Static Shock, of the Justice League, the original cartoon. And he, he wrote the All-Star Superman animated DVD. So great writer. Really was a loss to the comic industry and the world. Yeah, um, the original Teen Titans animated series as well, which uh, I, I really love. I don't necessarily love Teen Titans Go, but that original <laughs> run, original run of Teen Titans uh, with uh, with Slade Wilson was really good. I liked that a lot. This was directed by Lauren Montgomery. This is actually in the same continuity. If you've seen Justice League Crisis on uh, Two Worse. Yeah, it's, I did watch that too. It's yeah. the same continuity. It's like a continuation of that 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 universe. Yeah, that's kind of weird, right? Because it, it, obviously, it's clearly the same character models, same animation style, but the the voice cast is is all changed. It's back to the voice cast from the show. Yeah, almost everybody on this. We're going to get into the voices in a minute, but almost everyone had voiced these characters in a previous uh, animated DC format. Right, and I, I didn't enjoy crisis on two earth as much as as justice league doom i thought justice league doom was a a big step up from crisis on two earth as we review the actual we watch it and review it we're going to get into some of there's a lot of differences from the comic but we're going to get into some of them before obviously the comic book had uh wally west and kyle rayner as flash and green lantern this one is wally west i believe it's wally west and hal jordan instead of kyle rayner in this version i think yeah is it Wally West, or is it Barry Allen? But it's um, still Michael Rosenbaum who did Wally West in the show. Yeah, that confused me. I wasn't right, I never yeah. established. I assumed it was Wally because Michael Rosenbaum had done the voice. Right, but I'm not positive because I thought Barry was the Flash in the in their shared animated universe. The DVDs, that is. They have that scene of it's Barry Allen that's the forensic. You're right. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, it is Barry. It is Barry Allen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about. There is a scene, yeah, where he's working as a forensic cop. So right, yeah. It is Barry Allen, but it's the voice of Michael Rosenbaum, which is a little peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cyborg instead of Aquaman in this as well. And the the comic had Plastic Man too, right? And oh yeah, Plastic Man was in the comic, yeah, and he's not in this. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know what rating they were going for, but they didn't want to animate a man being frozen and shattered with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned uh, Titans. So I've always preferred, I don't have a problem with cyborg, but I always preferred him in the Titans of the justice league. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I know that that characterization doesn't sit right with everybody clearly not with ray fisher right because um no <laughs> just just whedon was pushing to have that version of cyborg on screen and i can imagine why that is not a flattering portrayal of cyborg for everybody but it's fun and it, it introduced the, the character to a lot of kids you know we had um 
a small toy where Cyborg's head popped out. I think maybe it was a like a Happy Meal toy, something like that, which my my daughter loved, and you know she called it Booyah, and uh, I always thought that was so cute and cool. So I I find it difficult to not love that portrayal of Cyborg, and you know in in Teen Titans they team him up very cleverly with Beast Boy. Um, you know, they're, they're like the odd couple, which works really well. In the Justice League, there isn't a character for Cyborg to bounce off like that. There's no comic relief, really, in this in this movie. And um, think about Cyborg, uh, not necessarily the comics, but uh, in, in the other media versions, they can't seem to land on a look for him. Like, if you see him in Teen Titans Go!, and this cartoon and then the live action DC extended universe and like DC comics rebirth. They seem to can't decide on a look they want to go with, with this guy. Is he half robot, half human? Is he almost entirely robot? They seem to have a hard time settling on, on what kind of look they want to go for. Yeah. There's very clearly a, a hard edge design aesthetic going on in the almost loath to say the word Snyderverse. Don't, don't at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I I gotta say, I thought Zack Snyder's Justice League was actually great. I didn't want it to happen, but when it happened, I watched it and I was like, "Wow, that's actually great." But in terms of the design of Cyborg and the, like the design of Steppenwolf, it's really like hard edges. Almost looks like they're made out of knives, both of them. I think he's. Uh, well, I know he's trying to attract a, an older audience in the cartoons, I guess. They're trying to, obviously in Teen Titans, go for a very young audience. And then in this Justice League Doom, somewhere between sort of young teens, maybe maybe between kids and teenager, that kind of age. So maybe that's what informs those design choices. But I will always picture him in the Teen Titans look, I think with the cool, you know, the blue sort of digital stuff mixed in there. And another major difference is uh, they switched villains in the comic story. Ra's al Ghul was the villain, but they've gone to Vandal Savage in Justice League Doom. Right, and I think that works really well. I don't know. In the Tower of Babel comic, the, the depiction of Ra's al Ghul in there is kind of almost comical. The first scene that he's in, where he's complaining about the guy killing his baby tiger. I was reading it and thinking, is this meant to be funny? I don't really know. Uh, but then when you get him in the the Batman animated series, he's like uh, a classic sort of English Dracula type villain voiced by, um, oh, what's uh It's David Warren. David Warner. He's voiced yeah. by David Warner really well. Um, and he he's a, a compelling villain in that, but in, in the comic I didn't feel that. And so when I watched the movie Justice League Doom, and thought Vandal Savage is actually quite a chilling presence in that, his physical presence, his his intellectual presence, and his goals they felt villainous in a way that wasn't it wasn't just physical and it wasn't just intellectual because usually with especially like Superman villains, you get one or the other, right? You get either someone who's going to be a physical opponent to him 
or somebody like Lethal who's going to be an intellectual opponent to him. And you rarely get both, and Vandal Savage is both. So that's what I, I liked about him as a choice in this. Yeah, he is a good mix of the two. Um, I couldn't look and find any like direct reason explained anywhere where they decided to make the change. So I bet guess it was is, uh, guess is as good as mine. Yeah. What, so this came out in 2012, right? Yeah, correct. When did Batman Begins come out? Wasn't that 2005? So wonder if because they'd used the character in that, you know, the uh, Descartes, um, Rachel Gould mix character that they had in that. And they're really weird about which characters they're allowed to use in different media at any one time. Maybe be- because Dark Knight trilogy was, was still, you know, the prevalent on screen version of that. They didn't want to confuse that. They're always about, oh, I don't want to confuse the audience. Don't underestimate the audience. We know what's going on, you know? Yeah, and, um, especially when I think Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012, and that's like, a, and their Bane is completely different than the Bane that appears in this movie. Absolutely, and but again, Descartes has he comes back in Dark Knight Rises, right? So in in flashbacks, um, yeah. So that that I bet that was the reason. But you know, Vandal Savage's uh, backstory and motivation fits perfectly in into this uh, plan. So we're gonna get into the uh, the. The characters, the voice acting, and uh, the credit where credit is due. I'm not going to do the whole cast because there's a huge cast, so I'm going to do the the Justice League and the main villain. So Batman, obviously created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. He's voiced by the legend himself, Kevin Conroy. Everybody knows that he was the voice of Batman for the animated series, for the Justice League cartoon. He's done... He did the Killing Joke animated. He appeared in an episode, I think, of Supergirl, or The Flash as Batman. Just pretty much a, a quintessential, like, that generation's Batman. Mm, Arkham video games, too. Yeah, so, I mean, this guy is... Why he doesn't be- do his voice all the time is beyond me. But. Well, he needs a rest, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> do you know, um, we were talking about New Frontier earlier, and I thought Jeremy Sisto did a great Batman in that. Uh, so, but yeah, usually Kevin Conroy, just be in everything, please. Um, Superman, obviously created by Jerry Seigel, Joe Schuster. He's voiced by uh, Tim Daly, who it's kind of nice because Tim Daly voiced him on Superman, the animated series, but he was unable to commit to the Justice League cartoon. So it's kind of good to see Tim Daly back as the Man of Steel. Right. Yeah. And George Newbern does the, uh, the series version. Both great. George Newbern. Do you remember he popped up in Friends as uh, Jennifer Aniston's neighbor? That she she kind of maced him or something, or opened uh, the smoke can. Ah, uh, yeah, my wife loves that show. I I seem to recall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he, then it, he had a beard and a and long hair. That's right. And Tim Daly, of course, famous for getting beaten up by Christopher on The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wonder Woman, created by William Moulton Marston. Susan Eisenberg comes back. She uh, voiced Wonder Woman on the animated series as well. She's done a whole bunch of the uh, the DC Animated Universe uh, Wonder Woman voice work as well. Yeah, she's so great in that role. Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, created by John Broom and Gil Kane. Nathan Fillion does the voice. Uh, Nathan Fillion had previously done the voice of Green Lantern, uh, I believe, on the... Not the first Green Lantern DVD, but the second one. I, it's Emerald Knights or something like that. I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. 
Yeah. But obviously, he's the main character of Firefly, Castle. He was on, I believe, the second to last season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or maybe it was the last season. I'm trying. I think it was the last season. Yeah. He's been a lot of people's, uh, a lot of fan cast choice for years to break Green Lantern, even predating the Ryan Reynolds film. He's a fan casting choice for more or less everything. <laughs> People love Nathan Fillion. He also appeared in the Suicide Squad, and I b- believe he, he was in a cut scene in one of the Guardians movies uh, as well, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. Yeah, that rings a bell. But yeah, he's in, in the Suicide Squad, he's arm fall off boy, right? <laughs> yeah, arm fall off boy. <laughs> The Martian Manhunter, created by Joseph Samoxon and Joe Serta. He is voiced by uh, Carl Lumby. He had voiced him on the uh, original animated series. Carl Lumby played Martian Manhunter's father, I believe, on uh, Supergirl, as well as he played Isaiah Bradley in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, he was so good in that. I didn't love that series as much as the other Disney Plus series, but <laughs> that scene uh that that was a great one yeah i i was hugely let down by that series but i won't take away away anything from his performance in the series yeah they should have had more of him in it uh, and that would have been an interesting avenue to go down maybe some flashbacks to to his cap would have been cool not to sidetrack what they should have done is decided on a storyline instead of trying to do like (laughs) six storylines at once yeah (laughs) Uh, the Flash, and it is Barry Allen. We established that. Uh, Craig did correct me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Robert uh, Kaneger and Carmen Infantino created him. Michael Rosenbaum did the voice, who did Wally West on the Justice League cartoon. So it's cool to see him back, even though he's not doing the same Flash. Mm, and he was uh, obviously Lex in Smallville. Correct. That great episode of Justice League where... Flash and, and Luthor swap bodies and Michael Rosenbaum gets to to play Luthor. But as Flash, uh, that's very meta. I really like that. And finally, Cyborg, created by Marv Wolfman and the late, great George Perez. Um, he's voiced by a Bumper Robinson, which <laughs> Bumper, I think, is the greatest, <laughs> greatest name. It's a good one. Uh, he's not a voice actor. He's done a ton of stuff. Uh, too much to, to mention all of it, but he was a uh, few examples. Was he was Bumblebee on a uh, Transformers animated universe in the early two thousands? He was the Falcon on the Avengers Assemble cartoon as well. Nice. Well, he he holds his own with these titans of, of voice acting in this. Anybody who likes animated, especially DC stuff. Would would be familiar with the rest of that cast, and I think that he uh, he did really well to to fit in with those guys and not feel out of place at all. So I got to say, Andrea Romano, who's the DC Animated Universe uh, voice um, director, always casts these roles so well. Yeah, with few exceptions, uh, the voice acting going back to the cartoons, all the DVD. They, I think he's still the voice director now, and uh, he's done a hell of a job finding really great people to do the voices. Yeah, sorry, she, Andrea Romano, Andrea, yeah. You're right. (laughs) Uh, What I would say, though, is because we spoke about Crisis on Two Earths earlier, I I didn't understand why all the crime syndicate voice actors thought they were playing, like, mafia guys. (laughs) 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 I'm going to get you was kind of the order of the day there. A bit weird. 
And uh, finally, our main villain, Vandal Savage, who was created by Alfred Bester, Martin Nodell. He's voiced by uh, Phil Morris, no stranger to the DC universe. He uh, played uh, the Martian Manhunter on Smallville. Yeah. He's Victor Stone's father on the Doom Patrol TV series. Yeah. He also played Jackie Childs on Seinfeld. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, won't, I won't do my Jackie Childs. <laughs> <laughs> in private, I might. I love him, and he's so good in uh, Doom Patrol, which is, is a great series if you get a chance to, to see it. Doom Patrol, I will, I will fight anyone, is the best thing, the best live-action thing DC produces now. Is, is the Doom Patrol. That show is so good, and I'm so happy that we're going to get a fourth season. Oh, yeah. All right. On that note, we, Craig and myself, are going to watch Justice League Doom, and we're going to talk about it. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. You each have a personal vendetta against the Justice League. Their deaths would serve my goals. tried and failed to kill members of the League on multiple occasions. Everybody take what you can and get out. It's the Justice League. Say goodnight, Ace. Savage has foolproof plans for how we can destroy them. Kryptonite bullet. I will pay you $100 million after you destroy the Justice League. Take them down. Pick a card. Any card. Before I broke the bat, today I break the man. Welcome to the Legion of Doom. The Justice League has a new weapon to fight evil. Mission Vision. Darkseid shooting asteroids at Earth. Now, Battle Cannon Superman gears up for action. Activate Mission Vision view screen. Fire missiles. But Darkseid's not done yet. Activate Batman's shield to see where Darkseid will strike next. Then shoot Batman's disc launcher. Mission accomplished. Justice League Mission Vision figures in the Javelin 7 vehicle each sold separately. You put figures together. meeting will come to order. The Legion of Doom is now in session. In a short while, the super... Uh, yes, Brainiac. I was wondering, Luthor, if I could perhaps get a pair what of... What we need uh, are a few items to help us in our perfect plan to stop the super friends. Cheetah, you have razor-sharp claws. Brainiac, your mind games are deadly. Scarecrow, you're, you're, you're made of straw. What more do you need? How about utility belt? What? Batman and Robin have them. Solomon Grundy want one, too. With utility belt, Bizarro will crush the super friends. Crush them! I want a magic lasso, Lex. Can I get a seahorse? I demand more toys! Oh, enough of this! What do I look like, Santa Claus? We're wasting valuable time. Right now, my dream reverberator is changing the super friends into our slaves. Uh, excuse me. Brainiac, what is it? Look, I just want some pants. 
a decent pair of pants. <laughs> Solomon Grundy want pants too. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. watched justice league doom and i gotta say uh without getting into the whole thing we're gonna break it down but it's over an hour but it seemed to fly by at the same time wouldn't you say yeah it's got a cracking pace uh if anything i'd say it's maybe 10 minutes too short but for reasons of, of some plot that i wish they'd explored a bit more but yeah it, it was uh it was really enjoyable and the time flew by uh, all right, like I said, we're going to get in some spoilers and whatnot, and uh, I'm going to try and make the comparisons of the comic, but uh, it's been a while since I've read the comic, so I'm not, I'm only going to get in depth on the changes that I actually remember clearly, so I don't, you know, make any errors. We open up with Batman, a security guard or a police officer's been down. He's been stabbed with the ace of spades, and uh, he finds out that, uh, he calls for backup, but there's a machine that basically makes the walls intangible and how they've been breaking into these various banks and uh, jewelry stores. He calls for backup, but then he goes to confront the Royal Flesh Gang. Royal Flesh Gang is one of that groups that have been around forever, and they can't ever decide if they're a complete joke of a group or they're a legitimate threat. Well, in this, they were a legitimate threat, right? <laughs> yes, here they're treated like they're treated like a threat that might not be on the level of the Justice League, but a threat nonetheless. Enough of a threat that Batman feels the need to call for backup, which he wouldn't always. No, definitely not. <laughs> He's trying to hide in the shadows, but Jack, the Jack of uh, the Jack of Spades, I believe it is, has his uh, his laser eye. You can see him. It starts shooting blast out of it. Where I don't know if you caught it, but when uh, they have kind of a standoff where he's shooting with Batman holding a mirror and. He pulls out the old Steve Rogers line, uh, I can do this all day. <laughs> I didn't catch that, that's nice. So the um the Royal Flesh Gang are not in the comic at all, right? Yeah, they they are not in the Tower of Babel story whatsoever. But it was a great way to introduce the league in this. Yeah. Um right when uh it looks like they're gonna bring the hammer down, the Justice League does all show up. In fact, uh the tennis spade says Oh crap! It's the Justice League, right? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, not a uh, a very uh, scared line delivery either, right? Just kind of a matter of fact. Oh crap! It's the Justice League. Yeah, it wasn't like she was terrified per se. No. <laughs> it was more just kind of surprise, I would call it. Yeah, I guess if you're committing crime in Gotham and Batman calls for backup, you're probably expecting to see the Robins, Batgirl, and when. Wonder Woman shows up, you probably... I personally would have been more scared than than the Ten of Spades was there. So there's kind of a split up with the individual fights, 
at one point, uh, the uh, number 10 says uh, that Green Lantern's going to never catch him. And Green Lantern says, yeah, that's what lots of women say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about that line. <laughs> maybe maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> maybe not now. <laughs> Superman pretty much disposes of Ace pretty quickly, kind of rips his head off. They've got pretty much everyone beat, but uh, King is trying to escape. And right when he gets escape, he gets a big clothesline from Cyborg. Yeah. And uh, they're very suspicious about this technology that it's not their usual M.O. They they pretty much think someone's uh, supplying them their weaponry. Right. That's great economy of storytelling there from Dwayne McDuffie because he not only introduces the, the Justice League characters and their, their strengths and weaknesses in, in this scene. He also introduces their relationship to Batman. And he also introduces the, you know, the MacGuffin of the, the movie plot all in that same scene, which is no mean feat. That's, that's good storytelling. And I do like stories when they have Justice League face off with villains that aren't so threatening. It makes for fun stories where they're characters that aren't so threatening that the, the entire world's at stake. Right. Absolutely. Uh, but they use not only the lasso of truth, but John's telepathy, and they can't they can't get an answer out of the Royal Flesh Gang of who has supplied these weapons. Yeah, they, they say that they don't know, and they, and they believe it. So they decide that they're going to kind of take their rest and sleep on it, try and investigate further. Batman, despite being injured, he wants no part of it. He doesn't want to rest. He wants to get right back to work. Typical Batman. <laughs> and there's a moment where he thinks he sees someone in the rearview mirror of the Batcave. I mean, the Batmobile. Yeah. The Batcave should have a rearview mirror, though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and when he gets there, Alfred kind of gets in his face and tells him that uh, he's not doing anything until he gets some medical attention, rest, and a good eight hours sleep. Typical Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> Which Batman begrudgingly accepts. And then you see Batman wasn't paranoid. Mirror Master was hiding in the mirror and he sneaks into the Batcade, downloading information from the Bat computer. That was cool as well, because I think I'm right in saying that in Tower of Babel, you don't see Rachel Gould getting the info from Batman before the plot goes into action. No, in fact, all these villains aren't even a part of that storyline. They kind of mixed like the Legion of Doom with, with the storyline of the Tower of Babel. Yeah. You see him talking to our mystery boss saying that uh, the information on that computer is more important than finding out Batman's secret identity, but he even says that he already knows who the Batman is. Right. And then you go to uh, Bane, who's in a swamp, which I got to say, uh, for it's a rare time where Bane is supposed to be South American, and this is one of the rare times where they seem to actually make an effort to make that apparent. Yeah. I, I'm sure in Mask of the Phantasm, he has a, a non-specific South American accent in that as well. His complexion's slightly darker. He's got kind of an accent. They don't often do that. Even in the comics sometimes, they kind of forget about that. Yeah, I did wonder if that's what Tom Hardy was trying to do uh, with that very very idiosyncratic voice <laughs> that he does. And, and I'm, not, I'm still not sure. <laughs> um, and then Bane gets attacked and... Kills an alligator. <laughs> We're establishing that Bane is a physical threat. <laughs> and uh, he meets up with uh, 
the villains of Mirror Master, Mentallo, Cheetah, Star Sapphire, uh, and the, the evil Martian, which uh, I have the hardest time pronouncing his name. Oh, man, yeah. I think it's Ma- Malafoc, I believe is how you say it. Something like that. <laughs> to my knowledge, is a creation of this cartoon. I don't, I mean, I haven't read every John, John Jones story, but uh, I don't know of him ever showing up in any of the comic books. No, it was the first time I'd come across the character. I did look it up, you know, while I was watching it. Uh, I think that the character has been in the comics. So Ma'ala Fa'ak, I think, is... That's pro- probably better. Surname is still Jones. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Ma'ala Fa'ak Jones. Um, so it uh, seems to be red in the in the comics from the image that I have seen. But yeah, uh, may have been introduced into the into the comics in the New 52, I guess, from what I'm seeing here kind of a dull character choice in a way because you don't get to see if you're going to have that character you want to see more of the relationship between him and his brother john jones right and you don't get enough time to do that in this and so you've what you've got instead is a character who just has roughly the same powers set as one of the heroes yeah because if you're going in as a comic fan you know mirror master star sapphire you know these characters backstory but this guy doesn't really have one, so they, and they don't take any time to establish anything of any any kind, really. Yeah. And actually, you mentioned Star Sapphire, and I don't think they have enough time for a casual viewer to establish Star Sapphire's quite complex relationship with Greenland either. So I think a lot of this movie relies on the viewer being, you know, a, a, at least a bit comics literate and a, and a fan of, of uh, you know, the, the history there. So uh, they go into the Hall of Doom, which uh, they actually call it that. So it's a pretty cool homage to the old Legion of Doom. And yeah. I like how there's there's a giant Vandal Savage statue built in the Hall of Doom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that his presence was felt in that, in that place. He gave them $10 million just to be there. But he says he's got guaranteed ways to beat the JLA. And if they go along, he'll pay them each $100 million Plus expenses. Yeah, so the the conceit there is that because he's been alive for such a long time, that he's had a lot of time to uh, gather assets, monetary. I'm not sure how that would work in real life because you know you watch like Highlander and that guy's poor, right? Even though he's an antiques dealer, <laughs> he's he's got a nice apartment and everything, but he's not like Bill Gates or anything. Now we're gonna get into it, but uh, the next scene is like. You really got to pay attention because they, it's all of the villains implementing these attacks and it's really like cut together quickly. So it's really boom, 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 boom. I mean, you get things like uh, the Waynes have been, their, their graves have been uh, dug up. Mm-hmm. And it, it was Bane who knocks Batman into the graves uh, after he surprises him. Martian Manhunter and his secret identity, John Jones, has a uh, surprise birthday party. Um, where they actually surprised him that they knew what it was, and then a mysterious blonde buys him a drink. Yeah, conveniently which, timed birthday. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which they 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 make it clear it's soda, it's not alcohol. He doesn't <laughs> right, drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's actually his uh, the other Martian disguise. There's a fight with Wonder Woman and the Cheetah. Barry's investigating. That's we the only establishing that we find out it is Barry Allen. He's a forensic scientist. He's at the scene of a crime. And he goes to the train station because he hears about a uh, mirror master 
Hal Jordan's going to a salt mine that's being held captive by terrorists who uh, doesn't get touched upon, but uh, their whole goal is to bring about the next American revolution. <laughs> if you're going to do that, do it in a salt mine. I don't know if they mean that they're gonna they're waiting for Britain to try and take over America again or <laughs> or what or what they mean exactly. No, yeah, this revolution against what? Yeah. I'm not sure. The fights go on. Green Lantern pretty much wipes the floor with them without a problem. Flash gets to a fight with Mirror Master, which has Mirror Master to me, even though his powers make no sense. They're some of the coolest powers of any superhero. Yeah. Like he's turning into multiple versions of himself, appearing in mirrors, shooting his mirror gun. Yeah. And then he's not even there. No, he's not. He's like a hologram. Yeah. Batman uh, gets pretty much his ass handed to him by Bane, who says, last time I broke the bat, but this time I'm going to break the man. Yeah, that was a nice nod to, to the Nightfall storyline. Mirror Master has a old woman in this uh, box, and when Flash goes to get her, a wristband bolts onto his arms. Yeah. How? Surely he'd be fast enough to get out of the way of that. <laughs> there has to be something that Vandal Savage got that could figure out how to hook it onto his arm. Yeah. Yeah. He basically turns into the movie Speed, where if he uh, if he stops running, he's going to blow up. Yeah, which is, I think, a much more compelling and, and fun-to-watch idea than what they did in the Tower of Babel comic, which is that he has speed force speed seizures i don't think that would have been much fun to watch uh, in animation yeah i don't know if that would translate well to uh the, the medium of animation no we find out that the soda the poison soda john drank he'll sweat it out but it's gonna sweat out as magnesium yeah which everybody knows is highly flammable and martian manhunter's weakness is, is fire fire yeah Bad news uh, for him. He gets lit on fire. Clark Kent gets lured to the Daily Planet where a reporter is going to be... It looks like he's going to be a jumper from the top of it. Mm. Cheetah, she actually slices Wonder Woman and drugged her with a drug that makes her hallucinate. Everybody looks like Wonder Woman. Like Cheetah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like being Dude. John Malkovich, but it's Cheetah. She's everywhere. <laughs> Superman, you know, he gets to the top of the planet. The guy knows that Superman can save him, so he also has a gun. So he's got a backup plan if uh, he doesn't die jumping off the building. Yeah. Green Lantern gets to the last hostage, who is a woman looking similar to Carol Ferris, who actually sets off a device that causes a huge explosion blowing up the entire salt mine. And it looks like she was killed as well as uh, some of the terrorists. Right where Star Sapphire gets in Hal's head about uh, how he doesn't deserve those powers. And Hal gets really, really upset about it. But all this is happening, like, really... I'm going. I'm not even going as fast as they went, as fast as jumping from scene to scene. <laughs> I really like the scene with this, uh, this guy, the newspaper reporter in Superman, where he says that he's, uh, he's been a reporter for 40 years. Uh, he used to uh, fight for the little guy, for truth, justice, but none of that's relevant anymore. And Superman says that those are what he fights for. It's a never-ending battle, and he doesn't care if it's fashionable or not. He's going to stick with those values. So it's a really good Superman scene. Yeah. Yeah. But it was all a trap. <laughs> yeah. 
Because it's actually Mental in disguise, and he shoots Superman with a kryptonite bullet. Which this is also different. Like if I if I remember correctly in the comic Batman, it synthesized a a red kryptonite that really hurt hurt Superman, but it wouldn't kill him if I remember correctly. Yeah, the comic is full of body horror. Um, I mean, if Martian Manhunter being set on fire sounds horrible, so it, it touched on this earlier. But yeah, Plastic Man gets shattered after being frozen, but Superman, the red kryptonite makes his skin transparent and makes him more susceptible to solar radiation i think and he's just in constant pain and i think they say at one point he he's just trying not to explode like literally so yeah tough time for superman and superman is slow motion falling off the thing you just get a montage showing that all of the justice league is pretty much defeated at this point yeah in fact, Bane buried Batman alive in Thomas Wayne's casket. Yeah. And he does the uh, the Kill Bill 2. Uh, I'm coming for you. One inch punch. Yep. So, and his hands are bleeding, but it doesn't look like he's going to have success. Yeah. We go back to the Legion of Doom, which we got a great scene where they're all like laughing, like ha 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 ha, and toasting their glasses. <laughs> they're all pretty pleased with their plans. Yeah. Which Vandal Savage uh, explains he's not going to destroy the world. He's just going to wipe out about two-thirds of it. I think the funniest thing about that is when they're all laughing and celebrating and, and Bane just, he like, ha, ha, ha. hmm, of course, I didn't kill Batman. <laughs> and then he, if I was Vandal Savage at that point, I'd be like, what? <laughs> we had a plan. Why didn't you kill Batman? I did something even better. I buried him alive. That's not better. That's Batman. He's getting out. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe he's fine because it gets him out of the way for the time being. Right, yeah. (laughs) You get Vandal Savage's origin of how he's uh, 80,000 years old. Uh, Pretty cool scene where he was a caveman where he touched a meteor, uh, which made him immortal and super intelligent. I cannot die. Yeah. Which I got not... We're seeing his origin in front of me. The, the the character Berserker, that Keanu Reeves comic, seems kind of like it's Vandal Savage, pretty much. I haven't read that. Is that is that worth a look? I, I, I'm a Keanu Reeves fan, but I thought... I've never heard Dogstar either. I only read the first issue, but it seems he's an immortal who's like 80,000 years old. Okay. And actually, if you've ever read Alpha Flight, the character the Master is pretty much... yeah. A ripoff of Vandal Savage as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Marvel and DC, they do that a lot, right? They have analog yes. for almost every character, and I think they're both fine with it. <laughs> it's like kind of the uh, unspoken uh, rule that we can we can do it as long as we don't make it too obvious. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he even says, I'm convinced I cannot die. And Cheetah's going to put that to the test, slashes his throat. Yeah, just, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that must hurt still. <laughs> he's just like, be my guest. <laughs> and she just slashes his throat. And there's a second where he's like bleeding out. You think he's dead, but yeah, <laughs> he comes back to life and uh, he kind of explains his motivation, which I actually thought was really uh, creative. Is he remembers a time during prehistoric Earth where there wasn't that much of humanity and he ruled it. And that's like the most content he's ever been. So he's going to wipe out the population to about what it was then and, and relive those days. Yeah. So I kind of like it. It's almost, it's not as much that he's evil or he wants power. He, 
He's an immortal. He's been alive for 80,000 years. His life has no meaning. That was the only point in his life where his life had any meaning. So I'm not saying I understand. I'm not pulling the old, he's relatable, understand his motivation. (laughs) But I think it's actually a real creative way to come up with a different motivation for the villain. Yeah, it's great writing. Yeah, I was really impressed with that. Especially after, like I say, uh, I was uh, obviously Rachel goes to a point, League of Shadows, their motivation is always the same. Pretty much. In in the Tower of Babel, it never felt particularly engaging. I was never thinking, well, this, this is a interesting reason to be doing this. I just thought he was just kind of, he was there because he's a villain and they maybe wanted a break from using the Joker for a few issues. And uh, Bruce does finally escape. He punches through the casket and manages to dig his way out. And he is pissed. He is not a happy camper when he breaks out of there. No, surprisingly, not a fan of being buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> or having his parents exhumed. Didn't, didn't enjoy that either. <laughs> now, Cyborg shows up, sees that Wonder Woman's fighting a bunch of the police. He doesn't know why at the time, but... Uh, we know that she's seeing everybody as cheetah. Yeah. Uh, he does an analysis saying that uh, all her, her blood, her blood pressure, her heart rate, everything's elevated. If she keeps going at this rate, she's just going to pretty much fight herself to death. And that there are nano machines that are attached to her brain cells that are causing these hallucinations. So that's kind of from the comic. The, the plan to take her out is that the only thing that would stop her is a heart attack. But she's effectively a goddess, right? And it Pretty just much. seems like a stretch to me that she could ever exert herself to that level at the age she is now. But, you know, that is what the plan is. <laughs> now, in Cyborg, when he's trying to talk sense her and he's shooting the blast trying to get to fix those, take over the nanobots, she actually rips his arm off at one point. Yeah, and to her, in her mind, has she just ripped off Cheetah's arm? Because that... She makes some line about like, sorry, she had to had to come to that. So like in her mind, she just ripped off the cheetah's arm. Exactly right. <laughs> and, and I'll get you some medical attention. Well, before I bleed out, you just pulled my arm off. Batman's trying to reach the Justice League. He can't reach them all because of all the stuff that's going on. He does manage to reach Cyborg, and he finds out what's going on. And he's like, he says the Justice League are under attack by me. Yeah. So we get the big reveal that this has something to do with Batman's plans. Yeah. And the reason that they're not succeeding because Cyborg wasn't in the plans because he wasn't a member of the Justice League. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We go back to a lot of the quick jumping from scene to scene. Flash gets to an iceberg where he runs so fast, but uh, he slows down just enough that the, the iceberg will freeze the device on his wrist so he can escape, even though it still blows up and knocks him like three miles. Yeah, I I was wondering all the way through because I watched it before I read uh, the comic, and I I was thinking, uh, why doesn't he do the the usual trick that he does, where he vibrates his molecules so fast that they just come out of whatever he's holding or whatever? So I'm still uh, I'm still not totally sure that I understand why he couldn't get out of that trap. Yeah, it's like it, apparently like he, you know he slowed down so it would freeze, but at the same time, yeah, I'm not sure they ever explained why he can't vibrate out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Best not to worry about the science. (laughs) (laughs) Cyborg had finally got Wonder Woman back to her senses. She goes to save uh, Martian Manhunter, who's like still, he's underwater and he's still on fire. Yeah. Yeah, harsh. Crazy. Finally, he gets injected with a, 
with something that will neutralize the magnesium. But Martian Manhunter is really confused on how Batman would even know that's what was needed in the first place. Yeah. And then Batman goes and uh, talks to the straw Hal Jordan that the girl wasn't really a, a human. She was a robot. He didn't actually cause the death of anyone. And all this was caused because he was hit with a dose of Scarecrow's fear gas. Because fear is the opposite of will. Yeah. That was a great idea. And also that um, I think they, they offer him an antidote to the fear gas. And he says, I don't need it. His will is back. That was a cool moment for him. The cat's out of the bag at this point that Batman did this to all of them. Mm. So, But they have to save Superman because uh, no scalpel can break his impenetrable skin to pull out that kryptonite bullet. So finally what they need to do is Batman has a piece of kryptonite he gives to Cyborg who shoots through it to get enough of a break in his skin so the Martian Manhunter can rip that kryptonite bullet right out of him. Now one part of this that seems a bit far-fetched even by superhero standards is I still think Superman would take a while to recover from being shot with a kryptonite bullet Yeah, that was lodged in his, his chest for at least good 5-10 minutes. Yeah, he does heal as soon as it gets away from him, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> Batman explains to them all that uh, this is a coordinated attack. They took his plans to neutralize the Justice League, where they're all kind of shocked about it. And uh, Superman says that none of us would have done that to you. And Batman very curtly says, then you're a damn fool. Yeah. <laughs> now, Batman is not an elite bit apologetic about his actions. Ever. Yeah. And... uh nor should he be even if i don't agree with him that is completely in character for him so i i appreciate that batman knows that uh he put in a fail safe so whenever his encrypted files are 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 touched it can be tracked and they tracked it to the hall of doom where you find out that this missile that uh vandal savage is going to fire it's going to cause a giant solar flare that will destroy the part of the earth that's facing it not only will it kill everybody on that side of the globe it's going to make, pretty much make all technology useless. Mm. The Justice League teleport into the Hall of Doom, have a big, really an awesome fight with, uh, with the Legion of Doom. This is one thing I really like about animation of comic books is comic book fights are great, but they can only do so much to the flow of action with you know hand-drawn. This, you get to see like movement and whatnot, so you can really see these guys unleash in a really awesome fight scenes. Yeah, and anything produced by Bruce Timm and the DCAU the hand-to-hand combat is animated brilliantly. Even though I sort of didn't like the Crisis on Two Earths movie as much, but there's a there's a hand-to-hand fight between Batman and Owlman in that, which is seriously great. It's really well animated. The the, the other one that I really loved is, uh, do you remember the episode of JLU where Black Canary teams up with Wildcat and it's like a, and, and Green Arrow, it's like an underground fighting ring that Wildcat's trying to feel alive and young again. The fight animation in that is some of the best I've ever seen in any animation. That is a great episode. I remember that. And it is a great, you are right, it is great animation. Cyborg's trying to shut off the missile. In the process, fighting Vandal Savage, he gets uh, stabbed. And this is where it shows what you had said earlier about not only Vandal Savage being an intellectual threat, but a physical threat, because he's not he's not afraid to get down and dirty and yeah. <laughs> fisticuffs. Yeah, the, in the old caveman versus astronaut, debate he's kind of both (laughs) (laughs) but he manages to overcome cyborg and launch the missile 
which uh, Superman says he's going to stop easily, but little does Superman know that the missile's going to turn into a whole bunch of smaller missiles that he has to take out. His speed is interchangeable based on the needs of the plot. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> a lot of times Superman's powers are very <laughs> direct correlation to what the plot needs them to be. Right. <laughs> so he gets almost all of them, but two of them make it, so the solar flare is started. They've only got eight minutes to save the Earth. Yeah, so... He's able to fly from the Earth to the Sun. Yes. Not quick enough to take out all of the missiles, but then is able to fly back from the Sun to the Earth in the, in the blink of an eye. So, yeah, even within that scene, his uh, speed changes. Yes, he, he can do it much faster than, than the solar flare. <laughs> yeah. Green Lantern's doing all he can to hold it back with a giant shield. Um, Cyborg and Wonder Woman finally managed to KO Vandal Savage. They can't figure out what they're going to do if the Earth is doomed. But then it dawns on them that uh, the Legion of Doom had to have had a way that they were going to survive. Right. And you find out that they were going to use that same intangible technology they gave the Royal Flesh Gang earlier in the movie. So it all kind of fits into play. Right. It's the uh, Chekhov's gun. You see the technology at the start, it pays off at the end. Exactly. Yeah, they never introduce technology just, just because. It always has a purpose later on. Right. So they decide that the only thing they can do is uh, use the Hall of Doom's technology. They have to raise it up, use it, attack it to the, to the JLA's satellite, and cause the whole entire Earth to be intangible. Yeah, it's such a cool idea. And one that I just we didn't... I don't want to say ripped off, but did you read his X-Men run where Kitty Pride is fired from a, a planet in a, what is effectively a giant bullet and uh, uses her phase powers to phase the bullet through the Earth? It, it's just a very touching moment, but uh, undeniably borrows from this idea. It does work. They save the Earth. It goes right through. Justice League has done it again. And then they have a meeting where you find out Vandal Savage has gotten life in prison without parole. <laughs> That's a long prison sentence for him. <laughs> I, don't know, I think that might fall under cruel and unusual punishment. Right, yeah. For, you're in prison for all eternity. <laughs> now, granted, he did try and blow up the earth, so I guess... Uh, they got to give him parole at some point, though. So they vote. This is They officially vote Cyborg into the Justice League. He is now a member unanimously that voted into the justice league mm. but they're gonna have a vote on uh if they should kick out batman but wonder woman says he should be able to speak in his own defense and batman gives this great speech i mean it makes him a dick but it's such a great scene at the same time where he says my actions require no defense i do it all again if i had to <laughs> and he says if you don't see the need for a fail safe against the justice league i don't belong here anyway he just pretty much quits yeah in the comic while they're having a discussion about whether to vote him out or not he's already left he doesn't even stick around to give them that speech he's just gone <laughs> superman catches up with him at the teleportation station this is actually a great a great scene really well written and it's i love when they explore the relationship of superman and batman where they're still friends despite their vastly different approach to dealing with things yeah. Where uh, he says, ask him, what was your contingency plan for you? Batman says, the Justice League was my contingency plan. Yeah. 
which is pretty awesome. Basically saying, oh, he has, without saying it, saying that he has more faith in them than any other people on the entire planet. Yeah. Could keep him in check. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, they feel that he's created these contingency plans because he doesn't trust them. But in fact, that couldn't be further from the truth. He just knows that they're vulnerable to, you know, mind control, stuff like that. He he trusts them with his life and, if necessary, with taking him out as well, which is, uh, you know, the highest trust. Yeah, it's a great way of Batman pretty much saying that they're his friends and he has he would trust his life in them without actually coming out and saying. Yeah, exactly. And a great moment of trust. Superman gives Batman the kryptonite bullet. Yeah. Saying, if anybody ever needed to use it, it would be you. Really establishing, in a great way, the relationship of Batman and Superman in the non-they-hate-each-other way that seems to become the more popular <laughs> way of comic books lately. I can understand why that moment doesn't play out in the original comic, because you want to hand the, the bat on to the to the next run and not necessarily have everything resolved. You don't want to completely reset the status quo unless that is actually what your brief is. But it's a shame because it's such a great moment in this. Um, like you say, re-establishing that, that trust between those characters. Um, the only thing that I, I thought was if this movie had had an extra 10 minutes, which would have only brought it up to, to 90 ish minutes total they could have fleshed out a bit more um how the rest of the league reacted to to what batman did and that would have just made that moment with superman all the the more you know poignant and there you have it justice league doom we're gonna go right to the ranking system on this one the spectrometer to the show and Craig the spectrometers where we rank what we just saw four spectros being perfection zero spectros being garbage how many are you going to give Justice League Doom I'm going to give it three spectros three all right I'm going to agree with you that's the ranking I'm going to give it as well it's not perfect but it's it's good it's well there's some really good moments the only thing uh we both mentioned earlier is I, I think it's a bit rushed in parts is my only real criticism. Yeah. And it's, it's dedicated to, to Dwayne McDuffie. And I think it's a, a, a great, you know, not, not to downplay how, how well written it was. It's very well crafted. Uh, and yeah, it was nice to see it dedicated to, to Dwayne McDuffie. And the only other criticism, and this isn't really a criticism. Uh, if you're a big fan of the comic book, you have to get used to there's some major differences in what you read on the page and what you see on the screen. Yeah. Um, that's, that comes up a lot, obviously, doesn't it, in online fan debate. And there, there's two schools of thought on that, right? And one is that if you're going to adapt something, there's no point in adapting it precisely as you see it on the page, which is a criticism that Watchmen got a lot, even though it obviously has a very different ending. But because if it's not then an adaptation, you may as well just you've got you've already got that version of it. The the adaptation should try and do something different and try and do something to fit the medium that it's in. So in animation, like you said before, in in terms of the fight scenes and stuff, you can do things that you can't do with motion in a 
static image. And in the in terms of the voice acting, you can obviously you can you can bring different dimensions to dialogue that you as a reader might have read in a different tone of voice, and you might be upset when it comes to the screen and it's not acted in the same way that you imagined it. And then the other school of thought is that if you're gonna take some source material and make an adaptation of it that is completely different to it, like say uh, you know the uh, I won't name any actually because it'll create too much online debate. But if you if you're gonna go completely <laughs> away from the source material, then you might as well have not adapted it and just created your own story from nothing. And I think this does a perfect job of hitting the sweet spot in the middle where it changes enough so that it, it becomes a cinematic piece of animation um and an economic piece of storytelling, but it keeps the core of what makes the original concept compelling and and the bits that I did like about the comic all uh, intact with the possible exception of I do love Plastic Man and it would have been fun to see Plastic Man in this. Well, with adaptations, uh, I think some of the criticisms I'm, I'm on board with, but sometimes people fail to comprehend that they have to translate it to a different medium. And some things that work on, on a comic page don't always work on a live action show right. or, or animated. Sometimes it's a time issue. You got to fit for time. Sometimes it's a legal issue yeah. you know, or a rights issue. Sometimes it, the changes are completely baffling and you can't figure out <laughs> yeah. why they ever did it. And sometimes just coming from a writer who doesn't like some of the characters in the source material. That so they can happen, kinda, right? Because yeah, the producers like, will hire a writer who might not have the, the connection with it that the producer does always. So, yeah, you never know what you're going to get, really. I mean, this isn't an exact example, but Alex Ross, for example, doesn't like Firestorm. So if you look at all of his classic Justice League artwork, Firestorm's never included in any of the original. He'll have, like, the entire original Justice League except for Firestorm. <laughs> I wonder why. But what did you think out there? Did you like it less than we did? That's okay if you did. We're just two guys sharing our opinion. Nothing to get worked up about. <laughs> did you like it more than us? You could have. You could have thought it was perfect. Go to my social media and let us know what you think. You can find me at Matt Spectro on Twitter and follow me while you're there. Or you can go to my Facebook page, Matt Spectro through the Multiverse. Follow me while we're there as well. Craig, what do you think? If a child in 2022 watches Justice League Doom, are they going to like it? Hopefully an older child because it, it does, like I said, just contain some graphic body horror. But yeah, I think uh, at DC, anyone who's just coming to enjoy the, the, the Batman animated series, which obviously continues to be popular, uh, they're gonna they're gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna agree, but I I would say more of a like a, a young teen, probably more than like a child, really. Yes, yeah. And as always, give us your two cents on there. Craig, I really uh, want to thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. And this point is where we get to uh, our free plug part of the show. The floor is yours, Craig. Plug away anything and anything you want to plug. Okay, so um, I'm one of the co-hosts of the Diabolical Podcast. You can follow us on social media at Diabolical Pod. And what we do is each week we choose a different movie, which we talk about talk about the things we love talk about the things we didn't love but then at the tail end of the show we specifically look at the movie from the perspective of the villain and we think about because typically the villain will lose in a movie 
what what could they have done differently? So we're kind of like an evil consultancy firm. So take Justice League Doom, you know, Vandal Savage's plan ultimately doesn't work. So we might sit down and think about well, how would we have taken out the Justice League? Um, probably nine times out of ten, the plans we come up with are more ridiculous and less workable than the ones that you see on screen. But we always have fun doing it and hopefully you have fun listening to us. Beautiful. And I hope you do uh, come back and uh, do another episode of the show with me sometime. Yeah, maybe you can get one of the other guys on. Um, I think I'm the biggest comics nerd out of all of us, but uh, Gaz, uh, also a big a big comics fan. Uh, he's more in the Alan Moore school of uh, comics love. So you'd probably get something more highbrow out of him. Ben doesn't like anything comics related. And in fact, uh, has never seen a single MCU movie. So uh, it's going to be fun when we get around to doing one of those on the show. Wow, not not a single one. Not one of them. He hasn't even seen Iron Man. I don't know how, but um, he he just says you know they're all the, they're all the same. He's got it into his head that they're all the same. So we're we're going to disabuse him of that uh, preconception at some point because <laughs> they're not right. There's a lot of a uh, lot of variety in. Yeah, in there's the- like twenty movies. Uh, the- He's got to like at least one of them. I would think so, yeah. <laughs> All right, again, <laughs> I want to thank Craig for joining us. I want to thank everyone out there for listening. And uh, if you have any suggestions or any ideas, feel free to go to my social media and let me know. And until next week, you have a great day. Thanks for joining us here on Matt Spectrum Through the Multiverse. Excelsior!